If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. In this episode of Mind Pump, for the oh. first 32 minutes we have, oh, actually for the whole episode, we this have special, for you ladies. special <laughs> yeah. guests. We Doctor. brought reinforcements. This was really awkward for Justin. Yeah. Had a really, <laughs> I didn't know where to go with this. We have Dr. Molly Maloof with us doing our Qua episode. Now, for the first 32 minutes, we do our normal introductory conversation. First, we talk about the Take Your Pills documentary. Apparently, this is a new documentary on Netflix we all need to watch. All we, about Adderall. Dr. Molly talks about getting off Adderall. That's a fun one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about insulin resistance. Fasting and bodybuilding, Adam adds some insight there. Glucose monitors and how they reveal true hunger. That was a great tip that you gave mm. us there, Dr. Molly. Genetic variances in diet, and we talked about yourself. cholesterol and hormones. And then we get into the questions. The first question was, do we trust normative data on routine blood tests? I guess the question basically is, do we think the ranges that were given by labs uh, should be trusted? Dr. Molly told us that that is a those those organizations are huge bureaucracies and they're not very consistent. Mind blown. Damn the man. The next know. question: uh, What kind of diet would we recommend for a woman who is suffering from polycystic ovarian syndrome in order to rebalance her hormones and promote fat loss, etc.? Great conversation in that topic. The next question was: What about makeup and skincare and its relation to health? Dr. Molly talks about uh, endocrine disruptors, excuse me, that are quite common in these types of products and what they can do to your body. That's right. Find out those Kardashians. Find out what (laughs) mascara Justin's using now. (laughs) And the final question. It's a nice blue. What strategies do we have for a middle-aged female athlete on how to manage and balance her hormones, adrenal function, thyroid, et cetera, with her high levels of physical activity? We actually had a slight, I don't say, I wouldn't say disagreement, but it was a great discussion on that part of the episode. Get on the juice. Also, this month, <laughs> juice up. we are giving away the No BS six-pack formula for free. What, Sal? How much, Adam? Free. Free 99. It That's was right. free. You actually can get the No BS six-pack formula like no money? for free with any MAPS bundle. Now, bundles are where we take multiple MAPS programs, we combine them together for particular goals. For example, the MAPS Super Bundle is a year of exercise programming. Enroll in any of those bundles, get the No BS six-pack formula for free. If you have any questions on MAPS programs, here's some quick answers. If you're interested in maximum muscle gain and strength, that's MAPS Anabolic. If you want to sculpt your body like a bodybuilder, physique competitor, or bikini competitor, well, then you enroll in MAPS Aesthetic. If your goal is functional athletic performance, that's MAPS performance. And if you're a personal trainer interested in training their clients better, or if you're interested in somebody who wants correctional exercise, that's MAPS Prime and Prime Pro. So find all those programs, including the bundles with the free No BS six-pack formula at mindpumpmedia.com. I'm excited to have you on as a guest of a Qua episode. 
a Q and yeah. A. We don't. Quad. We do not do this with with our guests. Yeah, we oh. have we ever done a quad with a guest? We've done it with maybe one, like once. One other time we did it with uh, Mike Mike Matthews. That's okay. who's probably the only other guy that we would trust to do that yeah. with. That's us. right. He could pull it off. A lot of That's trust right. we have in you, oh, right cool. there. Right. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. Yeah, I got <laughs> faith. I got yeah. faith in you. So anyway, what's uh, how you been doing? We haven't seen you for like a couple months. What, I, I got a text from you the other wait, day. Wait, about, wait, wait. Were we recording earlier? We are now. Well, well, don't worry. We'll shave all of that. We'll put on the forum. Nobody will hear. His magic. I really yeah. don't want my friend's name on the podcast. No, Nobody will hear no, what you said. Be. We won't incriminate before, you. Okay. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay, we, okay. We just started the podcast. Because people worry. know him. <laughs> yeah. That, He's that's, an animal. That's for he the is an animal. That's for the pay for site. Yeah, okay. where, where you listen to all <laughs> yeah. the behind the scenes. No, how that. how you been? What you been up to? You you were telling me you got your resting metabolic oh, rate tested and all that. I all right, so how did you get that tested? What they do? There's a company called Dexafit, and I had done my VO2 max at a fitness conference last year, and I had really good VO2 max because I had two people cheering me on and then this time the guy's like yeah I'm just gonna like tell you what to do and then you're gonna just run as hard as you can and I'm like wait you're not gonna like cheer me on you're not gonna like push me and he goes no I'm like well can you please do that because I'm not gonna run as hard unless you have unless you tell me that I can do more (laughs) and um and frankly, he didn't push me hard enough and I didn't do as good. And so I was really sad about that. Like <laughs> I was in the excellent range, but I wasn't like on the border of outstanding mm. like I was last year. And I think I could have gone harder. Mm. Um, and then my resting metabolic, my So last time I tried to do my RMR, they said the, it didn't work. So I don't know if it was because it was too low, but this time it was really quite low. And um, I've always wondered about that. And I guess like. So you feel like you have a slow metabolism. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's okay. Like we're gonna have real talk now, everyone. <laughs> About two years ago, I went off of a very common stimulant medication for ADHD called Adderall, and it's good times. and you know what, like. I'm actually okay talking about this now because of that documentary that's out called Take Your Pills. I haven't seen it yet. I've heard and about that. you guys have to watch this because yeah. like the reality is is that a lot of doctors and a lot of medical students take drugs mm-hmm. and they take them because we diagnose each other. Col- yeah. I mean, college students. I didn't All actually have a prescription in college, but occasionally, you know, you, you would, my roommate had them, so... Um, and they talk about all about this in this documentary, but the point is, is that, like, a lot of people, <laughs> from the beginning of... of um, the use of stimulants and, and uh, amphetamines as medicine in America, people took them. Um, actually, the story behind Adderall is really interesting because the doctor who developed the drug actually named it after after his wife because he he thought that it was a, a really nice experience. It gave it gave um, him a sensation of higher metabolism, higher well being, higher athletic performance, and he's and so he um, he named it after. After his wife, weren't amphetamines <laughs> originally prescribed? I think, if I'm not mistaken, I see I've I've seen old ads like from the 1960s or something like that, or mm-hmm. maybe I'm wrong, but uh, where they would actually advertise methamphetamines to uh, housewives. Yeah, that's the point. Like to like do more housework. She can do more housework. She can play better <laughs> tennis. You know, Brilliant. like she'll be happier. Yeah. She'll yeah. lose weight. Are you bored at home by yourself? <laughs> Take take meth. It'll yeah. help you out. Well, so now you know. It, so it took me about a year to taper, and then, and then people always ask me this. They're like, "How long is it going to take me to get off this?" And I'm like, "Honestly, it, it might take you a year because if you try to go cold turkey off of Adderall, you're going to be going through serious dopamine withdrawal, mm. and that's like really not a fun experience." What's dopamine withdrawal like? Um, we'll talk to anybody who's used a lot of cocaine. Uh, Ask them how it feels. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's this sensation that something's missing in your life. Right. Mm-hmm. The sensation that like you don't have motivation to do the things that you want to do. Um, for me, I felt very exposed and vulnerable. Um, when you when you take stimulants, you feel very unstoppable. And the funny thing is, is that these re- the, like a lot of the studies are showing that 
um, not, it doesn't necessarily improve performance in school. It just gives you the impression that you're smarter so that you actually try harder. So, I mean, some people it does help, but. Wow, say that's, that again. That's very yeah, interesting. That's, that's fascinating. That's so, like marijuana when I think I'm creative. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then you look at. It later, Although like, I do Ugh. believe that marijuana makes people more creative because I think it because the cannabinoid systems are the cannabinoid system is kind of like the brain circuit breaker. So if you're adjusting activity on a global scale in your brain, you might actually find more creative connections. Hmm. That's my own personal. Well, experience they actually with did it. test it with, go with that. They did test uh, uh, cannabis, and there's a particular test where I can't remember what it's called. There's a name for it where if they if they give you a word, you have to name a bunch of words that are associated with it. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be a classic test of creativity. Mm-hmm. And cannabis improves that. Yeah. But back to Adderall, yeah. they've test they've done cognitive, like where they okay, does this actually improve cognition? And studies are say it don't. It mm-hmm. doesn't. Hmm. It, but, but it gives you the wow. impression that you love your job. And if you hate your job and you hate what you're studying in school and a drug gives you the sensation that you actually enjoy it and you have a sense of urgency and agency to do the work, then you're going to do it and then you're going to fall in love with your job. So like to me, it's I think I think actually it is a synthetic stressor that gets get, gets your body to move towards something that you typically wouldn't want to do. Wow. Hmm. That's so really you went. When did you go off that completely? It took you a year. You said uh, it took to take So I went off completely about two years ago at a meditation retreat, and I definitely wouldn't recommend doing like the full end cold turkey with coffee at the same time. But they didn't have coffee at the retreat. Oh shit! So, so we didn't I, talk at all. No, we. There was definitely talking, but um, it, I cried a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. But um, I came back and I was like okay, this is me, my new life now. And I was terrified that I wouldn't make as much money. I was afraid that I wouldn't have as many jobs and I was afraid that I wouldn't do well and everything. And the total opposite happened. I actually made more money that year. I also, my relationships improved. I felt like I had more empathy, but I definitely put on some weight. Like Mm -hmm. I gained about eight pounds. And I think that was actually partially responsible for the insulin resistance that I developed because, now get this. Now this is something I did a bunch of research in. I literally had to like read all the papers on this to figure it out. But you know, we give antipsychotic drugs to people who have too much dopamine Mm -hmm. and it lowers their dopamine. And what happens to these people? They get really fat, Mm -hmm. right? So what happens if you're taking a drug that gives you a lot of dopamine and you go off of it? Mm. It's almost like you're getting the antipsychotic experience now, right? Interesting. Mm. So I think it played a role in insulin resistance that I developed. And I've read through forums on all sorts of websites that a lot of people have to turn to ketogenic diets to actually get their body back on track and through exercise because your metabolism is shot. Also because amphetamine directly affects the hypothalamus. So it directly affects your metabolism. Yeah, that's the part of the brain that controls your weight. The ventromedial um, part of your hypothalamus. Yeah, I was about to say that. Just kidding. (laughs) So, But the other thing too is it's also, to add on top of that, it's also an appetite suppressant. So you might find yourself wanting to eat more. And then on top of it, if you have low dopamine, you might feel flat or down. And then you use food like coffee. I just got really, really obsessed with coffee after this because Mm. I was just like, I needed something. Right. So so you did that two years ago. So now you feel like your metabolism is slow as a result of I do think it's slow. I mean, I feel like I have a sluggish thyroid too, um, which I've known for a while, but maybe that was related to being on speed for so many years. Mm. I mean, Mm. I was on it since medical school. When a doctor diagnosed me on, on the rotation, I was on with her she was like you know you have added you you have ADD right and I was like well yeah duh (laughs) I mean I was like but I mean what do you think I should do for it you know go take stimulants and she's like well I take them and I think they really help and I was like okay well I'll try 
And secretly, I was like, yes. Of course. Yes. You know what? So I went as an, as an adult, Thank I you. went to a doctor uh-huh. and they had, she had this poster uh, on the wall and it was like, do you feel this, this, that, and that? You may have adult, uh-huh. adult uh, ADD. And I'm reading it and I'm like, well, okay, yeah, yes, on all those things. Mm-hmm. I, I know I probably have ADD, which by the way, people with ADD also have the ability to hyper-focus. So a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, no, I can totally hyper-focus, but yeah. I can't be around a bunch of people while I do it. Right, right. You know? So so, so I asked her, she had me take this quiz, and then she wrote me a prescription for ADD medication. I didn't get the cool stuff, though. Mm. They recommend they prescribed Stratera, I think oh, yeah. it was called, yeah. which made me feel weird and mm-hmm. loopy, so I never totally. took it again. And I'm happy they didn't give me Adderall. I, I tried would... Ritalin, and it made me get, gave me headaches. And frankly, a lot of the reason why I was happy to go off of it is because I just felt like, okay, here I am trying to be a person promoting optimizing health. How hypocritical am I that I'm on speed? Mm. Let's get real. Mm. Like, this is bullshit. And so I had to like a call, come to juice this moment in my life where I was like, I got to get off of this. And, it, you know, like um, the whole met- met- metabolic effects of not being on speed do suck. Like, I, I do feel like I have to work harder and I feel like I need to work out more to have the same experience. Like, even just to maintain where I'm at right now, which is fine, I do feel like I need to work out more than most people do. Yeah. Well, we've talked uh, quite a bit off air, and uh, the goal is going to be, and we're going to help you, right? Oh, I so know. I'm, gonna, so I'm, gonna, I'm so excited about after this. After we're done with the podcast, I'm going to take you through an assessment so I can give you better recommendations in terms of exercises and stuff. But in our experience, I mean, you want to speed up the metabolism, which in the context of, of modern lifestyle is what I think most people will probably benefit from because there's just so much food around us and we're just mm-hmm. not active in our daily lives Mm -hmm. is you know focus on getting you stronger which is number one like if we can if we can give you some good strength and build you don't have to build a ton of muscle either just getting stronger tends to get the metabolic rate to burn more calories makes you you know utilize insulin better and all those other things so that'll be the goal what have your workouts been I mean, like, I definitely did a lot of bodybuilding last summer when I was dating a guy who was, like, super, super fit. Yeah, but you overdid it. Didn't you go crazy? I I do feel like doing his regimen was probably not the right way to go into it. But, um, yeah, because I I felt more, I really did feel like I was high cortisol. Like, I felt like it was giving me, it was counterintuitive. Too much. I was like, you know, Travis, I don't really feel like I'm getting the results that I should be getting. And I feel like it's because my cortisol is so high. Mm. And I think this is kind of maladaptive. But I was also eating fairly low carb at the time. So I'm wondering also if I wasn't feeding myself enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's really hard to say, but... Is insulin inversely related with cortisol? Like if insulin goes up, does cortisol go down or they, no, does that not so matter? So typically what happens is cortisol makes you insulin resistant. So the insulin that you release, your body cells are resistant to it. So you need more. So mm-hmm. it's a vicious cycle of insulin resistance. Is this because cortisol makes your liver re- just release a lot of sugar? Is that part of it? And it makes your cells resistant to the sugar that it releases. Just directly? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. How common do you, do you find that with your, with your clients and patients? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Insulin resistance is everywhere. And the thing is, is that I think mm-hmm. it's highly, highly underdiagnosed because... Um, we don't do oral glucose tolerance tests and we don't do like nobody goes to the doctor and does a two hour glucose challenge with insulin measured at one hour and two hours. Nobody does that anymore. And that's actually where where we have a problem because there's 80 million people with prediabetes in this country and most of them, like only 11 percent of them know they have it. Mm. And that's CDC statistics. So um, part, of the reason, part of the reason is you, you need the diagnose the way you diagnose prediabetes is there's three ways. You can use hemoglobin A1C, which doesn't which doesn't catch everyone. 
um, you can use fasting glucose, which doesn't catch everyone because it only tells you about your fasting levels, which is really your hepatic insulin resistance. Oh. And then your muscle in- insulin resistance, you catch through the glu- glucose challenge test. Oh, wow. So one can be off and the other one not. Well, so yeah. so one of them both. measures your, your liver, mm-hmm. how your liver responds. Mm-hmm. The other one is your muscle, mm-hmm. how that responds. Yeah. I did not and know all, that. And there's isolated forms of both, right? And then there's the, and then you can find them together, but not everybody has them together. What do you so, what do you find What do you find most common with the people that like let's say for example in liver they they struggle there? Is there is there a type of person? Visceral fat, man. Alcohol, like people mm. who have um, fatty liver and fatty have too much. Like my visceral fat levels are tiny. I, I think it's probably because I'm fairly okay. I mean my fitness is pretty much okay, mm-hmm. um, but like my visceral fat it's like point oh two or something super low. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's great. So that that's not my issue. But um but you know like this is where again glucose monitoring comes in because if you're not looking at your response to, to meals, you don't know how your muscles are responding to the food. You don't know if they're easily taking them up. Like I exercised like a really hard workout yesterday morning. Um bunch of high intensity stuff and I had super low blood sugar all day long because of that effect on my muscle. Mm-hmm. That, that that that's part of the reason why it's so good to exercise. Mm. By the way, we're gonna we're probably gonna recommend that you don't do super high intensity workouts. I'm guessing, yeah, (laughs) because uh, what we want to do is send a signal to your body to build muscle. We're not Mm -hmm. trying to get you to burn a shit ton of calories while you're working out because that actually can cause the body to start to adapt in a way where it becomes really efficient with Mm -hmm. calories. Yeah. So we see this a lot with, like, we'll get clients to do a lot of running or do all they do is hit style workouts, and their metabolisms just adapt, 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 and then we have these. I had a hundred and I had a, a young lady, 120 pound, ex figure competitor or uh, bikini competitor, who was doing an hour and a half of working out every day and was com- anything over 1,200 calories she would gain weight. Yeah, that's how much her metabolism had adapted. Wow, downward. So we had to reverse out of that. Have her lift weights. Took us a year before I could get her to you know be able to consume closer to 2,000 calories with that type See, of that, activity. That to me is my dream, like to be able to easily consume 2,000 calories. <laughs> which, you you know, sh- which you should be you able should to, because it's not like you're, you're a four foot nine little 80 no. pound girl. I mean, you have, enough, you have enough size and muscle yeah. density that you should be able totally. to burn that much. So. And yeah. I love eating, so let's get real. And I love eating vegetables. <laughs> like I eat most, I mean, I, I mean, I fucking love vegetables. <laughs> oh, got passionate there for a second. I know, sorry for cussing. Oh. Um, I'm trying to work on that. but um, broccoli, yeah. No, but for real, vegetables are like, the key to optimal health along with exercise just because they feed your microbiome. Mm-hmm. And if you, if your microbiome is healthy, then you'll live a long, long time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I guess kind of going back to the, the Adderall thing, like when you're not eating, your metabolism is, t- is like tanked, you know, cause you're just not eating. You're eating like maybe one, maybe one and two meals a day. Yeah. And that's another thing that we, you know, there's this, there's this big fasting obsession right now. And like, I think I'm going to get a lot of questions from this discussion, which is like, okay, so what about fasting, right? Like, mm-hmm. how do you fit into fasting? This is my question for you guys into like a bodybuilding regimen because we know mm-hmm. that it's good for apoptosis. We know that it's good for your cellular health and longevity. So, like, how does this work in I, your world? I would not recommend fasting to somebody who I'm trying to get their metabolism to amp up. Mm-hmm. So, if I get a, if I get, I a, do recommend fasting to a bodybuilder. Though that was yes. one of the things I used to do when I co- I was one of the first coaches that I ever knew that used to in the middle of a prep would make all my athletes fast. 
fast. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, I, but I, they're all overfed. They're all you know, right. All these meals. Yes. Like and so, what, what was your goal there? Just to shed quickly? Or well, what? you know, there's that's part of me just being a butthead too. Like I just want to show them that, like, listen, this is something that you can do because the the myth out there is yeah. that they're going to do that and muscle is going to fall off. Right. You know that they, we really. I mean, and I remember what it felt like to be that kid too, who's trying to build muscle, and then all of a sudden you see the scale go down, and then right away you think, oh god, it was a pound of muscle that came off mm-hmm. of me. But it's not, that's not what's happening. So. I think I did it uh, originally for just to show people like, listen, you can do this and you can be okay because I found that in the competitive world, a lot of these uh, athletes had a really poor relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was trying to break that. So for me, it was more about a relationship and the connection that you had with food. Interesting. That, that you were so, because I, I mean, we can talk all day about all the different health benefits to fasting, but in my, person, in my personal experience, one of the most beneficial things that clients of mine have learned from fasting is just the relationship with food. Is, totally agree. Is, yeah, is realizing that, holy shit, thing. you could go two days and not eat food and your body is just fine. That's the psychology. Re- that's the reason mm-hmm. why fasting Fasting is in like every major spiritual or religious practice mm-hmm. because of that, and that's I, that's why I I practice fasting every month. I do a seventy two hour fast, and I get the physical benefits from it, and mm-hmm. I notice those. But that's not why. I, that's not what motivates me to yeah. do it. It's yeah. that whole psychological aspect. I feel like it's a reset. My palate gets reset. Um, I break the chains of food, and what I mean by that is the emotional connections or when I get cravings, which are not real hunger and all those different things. Totally. But if I get a client who has a, what we would call a damaged metabolism, and I hate using that term because it's not that their metabolisms are damaged. They're doing exactly it's what a, they're supposed to do. what you taught yeah. it to do. Yeah. 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 And, but, it, but these are people who, okay, I'm not eating a lot of calories. I'm doing all this activity. Why am I, why is my body fat still high? Why am I not able to, to shed body weight? And so those are the people I don't have them fast. Uh, we don't fast at all. Now, if they do fast, we'll do it for health and it's very infrequent. So, yeah. so the way I would incorporate it, if you're looking for the health benefits of fasting, mm-hmm. is not to do the intermittent daily fasting, but rather to do maybe a 24-hour or 48-hour fast once maybe a month or once every other month yeah. for all those other benefits. See, that's actually what one of my goals anyway, is just to do like two days a month. That's it. Mm-hmm. So that's it. With, that would with, be the way to do it. With bodybuilders, I always did it, or competitors, I always did it with the transition from in a surplus to going to deficit. So mm-hmm. let's say I just, you know, I'm coaching you and you're getting ready for a show, and I just gave you a surplus of, mm-hmm. you know, three days in a row of 2,000 calories, which is a lot for you, you mm-hmm. know, for those three days. Then on the fourth day, we're fasting, you know, no food for the entire day, you know, and I bring down the intensity in their training. And, and for me, it was about breaking again that relationship. Yeah. Obviously, it's not advantageous for a competitor or a bodybuilder to be intermittent fasting almost every day or fasting every single week. Mm-hmm. I just did it when I'd be transitioning and more so to teach the, the well, lesson. For, there, yeah. There's also evidence to suggest that um, when you have regular and consistent uh, feedings of protein, you actually become you know desensitized to it in the sense that your body uses it a little less efficiently. Mm-hmm. More of it is turned into energy. And so for bodybuilders who are consuming all this protein, all this food, a fast, and then they go back to eating the protein. It's like boom! Oh yeah, that they makes get sense. this boost from it, and mm-hmm. I I notice that every time. Yeah. So every time I fast, I notice when I it's like three days into my refeed or whatever, where I notice like this almost like this anabolic effect. Well, uh, I love what it. you guys are saying because really it kind of goes back to this idea of what really health is all about, which is adapting. Yes. And self managing in the face of whatever life like hands us, and you know I think for a lot of people in America, if we had a mass famine, for you know like people would just lose it. Like this country would not survive. (laughs) Like whereas in a lot of countries, people survive and they live through like serious famines. And like, yes, kids, like, yes, there are children who die, 
But I do feel like we are a very fragile country when it comes to food because we're so overfed. Oh, oh my God, you know yeah. what? I make this point all the time and, I've, and people will debate me and then I win this debate every single time. Most people in Western civilized societies have never felt r- real hunger. Feels True. Like. They've, they've never gone longer than you know, 12 hours without food ever in their mm-hmm. entire lives. So everything that they think hunger is, is actually not hunger, but rather cravings or emotional connection or set and setting. Mm-hmm. So when they say things like, yeah, like, oh, no, I'm starving. I get starving by lunchtime. You're actually not mm-hmm. hungry. You know it's time to eat. Uh, you may be craving something. I mean, real hunger is this. If you're truly hungry, you'll eat anything. Mm-hmm. When you're craving something, it's one of these where you'll tell your friend, like, I'm starving. They'll be like, oh, cool, let's go get Mexican. Be like, I'm not in the mood for Mexican. I had that yesterday. Well, let's get pizza. <laughs> I'm not in the mood for pizza. You're not actually hungry. Yeah. You just have cravings. And right? this is actually where, again, I love wearing a glucose monitor because I can see if I'm actually low blood sugar. I can see if I'm like in the range where I should legitimately feel hunger. And there's two studies that I've, I've been using to guide the programming of this app around biofeedback assist, like basically assisting people who have never felt hunger using a blood sugar monitor to show them that your blood sugar isn't low enough to feel hunger. Oh, that's oh, brilliant. Right? Yeah. No, I need to eat. My so blood sugar is low. Yeah. Most yeah, people are eating and their blood sugar is like 100. And I'm like, sorry, <laughs> you're good to go. You can actually last a lot longer wow, than that. I didn't even think about being able to use the tool like that. Can you imagine that? What a great way Just to write in your God, clients. I can't wait till everybody can have that. <laughs> I right? know, me too. Like, How long do you think face. that's going to be till we can all... Probably, I mean, the goal is like, the goal is the first quarter of next year. Okay. That's oh, wow. Goal. Hmm. Yeah. And you're consulting with this these companies? Yeah, I'm there this? two days a week. Wow. wow. Mm-hmm. So we get one too, right? Yeah. When that comes Duh. out. Yeah. Hook us up. You, get, right. you can have us. Come on. Have, let's, see who has the, let's see who has the best insulin levels. Okay, so <laughs> I just got a case of these Always glucose tolerance test sugar solutions. And I am so afraid, so afraid to consume one of these because like- Wait, wait, what is this? It's the it's the test that you get at the at the doctor if you're going to see if you actually have diabetes or not. Oh. And like, you know, like I know my fasting sugar. glucose oh, is shit. good and I know that my blood sugar looks good because I know what I feed myself. But like, I don't know. I've never done like an actual glucose, glucose challenge. And so I, I'm like afraid to see what is will it, happen Is it pure dextrose or? It's, yeah. How does it work? Explain how it works. So you, you take, you, so you, you start the timer and you drink this stuff and actually you drink this thing and then you, you. And it's just like pure sugar minutes, or what? It's pure sugar water. Okay. 75 gram hit of oh, sugar. Oh, wow. So and, it's a lot. Yeah. And like what you typically do is you wait two hours, um, but you, you can measure at one hours and two hours, or you can measure every 30 minutes if you want to get an even more effective assessment of like your peak. Yeah. Um, but like we have a glucose monitor, so we can just find out when the peak is. And this is something that's like missing from a typical glucose, glucose tolerance test is if you're at a lab and they give you this sugar water and they only test you at one hour and two hours, what if you peaked in the in between that? Yes. Right. So what if you missed the peak, you don't even actually know if you actually had an abnormal blood sugar. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm basically going to try to get everybody in the office to do this. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's going to do it, but like, but importantly, you have to be, you have to be eating carbs before you take this test for it to be fully accurate. Wait, why, why if I go, um, let's say I go into a keto, is it just because I become hypersensitive to You it? become physiologically insulin resistant. It's like, a, it'll naturally happen if you eat just full ketogenic. Um, this is like all over I mean, this is like pretty well established stuff, but, um, wait, so wait, like, what do you mean by that? Explain that. Cause that sounds fascinating. So your, your body becomes, um, your, your brain is like doing everything you can to get glucose into it. Right. So your, your, your peripheral tissues are saying, we're not going to let glucose in cause we want to shunt it to our brain. Oh, right. 
So the test will show that you have insulin resistance. So you, when you yeah. Don't. So like I did the biome test and it's and it said that I had insulin resistance and I was like because they have a, a glucose challenge, and I was like, but I was eating less than fifty grams of carbs. Like, shouldn't you guys tell me to eat one hundred fifty grams of carbs every three day for like three days before I do this? Because that's generally what they say you should do to get back to. Um, because frankly, since being on keto, I am super insulin sensitive. Like I am like my, my blood sugars are crazy low right now. So like there is a benefit to ketogenesis um, by like really resensitizing yourself in the long term. But during that period of time, your body is responding like you don't have sugar and you need to make sure your brain is fed. Wow, that's so hmm. fascinating. Now, because of that, now do you encourage people to go weave in and out of like a ketogenic diet? and? Grow- I'm, I mean, like I... So I have slightly higher cholesterol if I do keto, and I have a, I, I just checked my cholesterol. It's it's above two hundred right now. Yeah, but and, who cares though, right? If it, um, it's dietary cholesterol, because you're obviously everybody eating higher. says that like you shouldn't care, but like I just feel like I've spent enough time with both the high carb and the low carb worlds to know that both sides have truth to them, mm. and I'm just not I, I I'm just not convinced that like saturated fat is good for everybody. I'm glad you said that because it makes me feel better about the experience I had when I went keto was, Mm -hmm. and it was just me looking at, and I didn't even test my cholesterol. I just thought, this can't be ideal for me if I wasn't eating anywhere near like this. All of a sudden, I'm consuming all this fat. Like, uh-huh. if when over fifty percent of my diet ends up being butters and oils, and yeah, things, I like, just felt really not great by right. the end of the month. You know, for like second week, I felt pretty great, um, but then by the end of the month, I was just like. This is so not sustainable for me. I do not feel well. Did like, you did you also well that's but I an important have, but one. Let's real let's get real. I have PPAR gamma genetic defect. I have an FTO defect and I have APOE4. Oh my one god. You need a SRP21. So, yeah. I basically I a, guys I have a C3 I basically <laughs> I can't have a lot of saturated People fat. Think- like that, my genetics are telling me you cannot live on saturated fat. Yeah, there's just, those are polymorphisms that that mm-hmm. that were some people um just and this is again this goes back to each when you look at individual people, they're very, very different. Generally, we can make general, you know, we could say generally, you know, lower carbs may be better, ketogenic may be better. But when you look at the individual, I'm sorry, but some people, there are some people that are healthiest vegan. There just are people who straight do up. It. There just, are just straight up. So it's it's very, very individual. And you're talking about specific genes that we've now or variances that we've now identified. That that make that make it a higher you know likelihood that you're not going to do well with a lot of saturated fat, mm-hmm. um, but there's so much we don't know yet, and so I think you yeah. got at the end of the day, if you feel like shit, probably not. Because I had people message me because we we all went keto um, a while ago as mm-hmm. an experiment, and it's how I typically eat, not all the time, but most of the time because I feel best on it. And I'd get messages from people, and they'd be like, "Oh, you know, I'm do- I've been keto now for three months, mm-hmm. and." I still feel terrible and my digestion's bad. And how long does it take? Okay, so that's another thing, right? Yeah. Like, what about the gut health, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, you cannot eat the level. I mean, I, I right now I checked my my carbohydrate intake the last few days, and I'm eating at least twice as many vegetables now that I'm off keto. But I'm still around like 50 grams of carbs, mm. you know, net carbs. Right. So, like, am I in ketosis? I don't feel like I'm in ketosis, but I'm eating low carb. But like, I need a lot of vegetables to keep my gut healthy. That's how I eat. So I, I I'll eat very very low starchy carbohydrates mm-hmm. or low sugars and stuff like that. But I do eat a lot of vegetables. So yeah. I'll eat very large servings of 
everything broccoli leafy greens it's and i like to cook them because i can eat more yeah when i cook them yeah. so i eat very very similar but yeah i mean those differences are i mean here's the thing i want to ask you about cholesterol did you test to see because i know you can have high cholesterol but NMR, then you are lipid profiles yeah, yeah check your if, if my when i did the well so i need to check it again because okay. i i had mine checked in when i was eating higher carb in december and my lip my my lipoproteins improved but when i did check them after keto last summer they had gone way way up so, so the bad even the bad forms of the, the bad, bad uh, uh, the bad ones went up last summer yeah, okay. so that's what got me thinking maybe it's not and and, and there and not everybody it happens to mm -hmm. it just happened to me so that's when i started really looking back into my genetics and just like piling through all the studies that I've done and I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> it basically says this is what's going to happen if I do this. So, yeah. <laughs> and it's not that you can't do it. People can do um, keto with higher monounsaturated fats yes. and omega threes, but it's just a lot harder and you're eating a lot of oil. And so I don't know about you, but it's pretty gross. Yeah. Like I felt grossed out and I was just like, I can't eat this much oil. Quality of life. You know? Dr. Uh, uh, Dom Diagostino, um, same thing as you. Oh. So he dramatically reduced the saturated fat and then he increased the amount of other types yeah, he of eats, fat. I've seen what he eats. And Olive it's oil, like, sardines, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, like he does it. He yeah. makes it work. Yeah, But no. it's just like, the thing is, is you end up just eating like protein and green vegetables and, and, and like nuts. And that's just a boring life. Hell yeah, it's yeah. boring. Yeah. No, you know? I'm, I'm with you because at the end, of, look, it, we all, the three of us were personal trainers for a long time. And so our experience tells us that we, because a lot of times we'll have scientists or doctors on the show and they'll tell us like, this is what's best. This is what the sh studies show. And we'll be thinking because of our experience, we'll be like, well, that's nice, but no one's going to do not it. Sustainable. Yeah, yeah. No one's going to do it. So it actually doesn't matter. So what you're saying well, doesn't matter because yeah. no one's going to follow. I it. like the idea of doing it for like a month here and there. Like right. um, Mark Sisson, is that how you say his name? That's Sisson. Sisson. Yeah. He, he, he says, you know, his whole story is now just do it twice a year or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of people who are insulin resistant, which is like third of the country, mm -hmm. <laughs> more than that, maybe. Um, yeah, I think it's a really good reset. I think it, I think for a lot of people, we're so stuck on the insulin cycle and the sugar and the carb cycle that like we just don't even know what it's like to not live like that. Right. That's know? why I think it looks so positive. It looks so positive because we've went so far off the deep end exactly. with, with it. It's yeah. like, well, no shit. Everyone's seeing all these great things from it. It's and like, then you realize you're not going to die if you eat all that much fat. You know, you're like, oh, I'm not going to die. Well, <laughs> it, it completely changed my relationship with fats and carbohydrates. I fall I fell into that category of people that just I had trained myself not to eat high fat. It was like I was on the low fat and yeah. I had non-fat milk in my refrigerator for God knows how long. Stayed away from butter. Stayed away from oil, stayed away from all that stuff to keep it down. Then when I went keto, it, I, and I was eating around that time because I was competing right before we switched over to that, I was getting close to four to 600 grams of carbs every day. And so when we went keto, when the complete opposite, and I saw all the positive effects from it, the takeaway for me was, holy shit, like I don't need to eat mm -hmm. that many carbohydrates. And now my carbohydrates fall around somewhere about 150 grams of carbs. It's not that much. And I feel great. Yeah. And I don't, I don't have to be ketogenic all the time. It allows me to have a little bit of flexibility. That's a smart takeaway. Yeah. Right. That's, That's definitely a smart takeaway. Another, uh, uh, here's another question on cholesterol. Um, I've read studies that show that people with higher cholesterol tend to have longer lives in the sense that they have lower rates of all-cause mortality. Well, so here's the thing. I had a client who had had like a triple bypass and he was just holding on to his statins and his red yeast rice like it was a security blanket. Like he was pushing his lipids so low. And I was, I just, I just kept on telling him, I'm like, well, first of all, I wrote him like a 20 page report on his health. And I said, look, like you cannot live with this low of cholesterol. Like you don't, you're not producing enough hormones. All of his hormones were low. I mean, like 
it's just not healthy mm-hmm. to live. I mean, the all-cause mortality happens when it's really low. Okay. Um, I don't necessarily know if higher, I, I don't know the evidence on higher, but the real evidence that I found was that people who have the lowest cholesterol don't tend to have well. the highest all-cause mortality. And so, and, and then the other, other thing that people don't talk about is how like- Depression's have, high too with really low cholesterol. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, but really about h- hormone production. Like you can't make enough hormones. And there was a question um, from somebody on one of the Instagram posts about you know hormones in middle age. And if you're if you're not eating any cholesterol, if, and if you don't have enough in your body from its own production, um, you're, you're not going to make test- enough testosterone. You're not going to make enough of all of your sex hormones, and you're going to feel like garbage. Wow. Something that I uh, experiment with, by the way, the way I do mine now is I go, I fast once a month and then I do, I go keto last week of the month. I eat carbs and then I recycle and I'm just messing with this right now going mm-hmm. in and out and it seems to work really well for me. Well, you're really well kind of developing metabolic flexibility, right? That's the like, goal. Isn't that what we all should be, do, be able to do? Like that, That's the goal. Shift to whatever fuel we, we, we're burnt, we want to burn. And also encourage, you know, diversity in my microbiome and yeah. all that stuff. And I seem to feel the best uh, doing it this way. So very interesting. I don't know. Let's get into some questions. Let's do some man. questions. I know we got a bunch of questions that got sent to us. This quaz brought to you by Organifi. For those days you fall short on getting your organic veggies or whole food nutrition, Organifi fills the gap with laboratory tested certified organic superfoods to help give your health and performance the added edge. Try Organifi totally risk free for 60 days by going to Organifi.com. That's O R G A N I F I.com. And use the coupon code MindPump for 20% off at checkout. First question is from Rachel Ursoff. The question is, do you trust normative data on routine blood tests? Now, I think she probably means like, do you trust the the ranges that they give you on blood tests? Because when you take a blood test, it's always like, you know, if you're within this range, that means you're okay. Right. What do you, what do you think about that? Well, you know, I used to believe that if you're in the normal range, everything is fine. And then it occurred to me when I started working with this company and this Dr. Lee, uh, Dr. Richard Lee and... Um, Foster City, that there's a whole range of normal. And when we were developing this expert system for optimizing health using labs, I was like, well, what are you basing your ranges off of? And he goes, this is off of 10,000 athletes and high performers and where their, where their, um, you know, where their hormones were at. And we were, we're not putting people out of range. We're, we're both, we're boosting their hormones to get to the optimal range. And I was like, okay, so like you have a totally different range than most doctors do, right? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. He's like, the range that most doctors are using is A, designed for that region. So whatever your lab region is in, like nor- Northern California will have a North, LabCorp will have a range for that area. Oh, I didn't know that. That yeah. is super interesting. Yeah, I did not know how this gets down. Yeah, because like, if believe it or not, not every lab communicates in this country. And believe it or not, LabCorp is one of the largest bureaucracies in the country. And if you think that like LabCorp Florida communicates with LabCorp Northern California, you'd be sorely, sorely mistaken. And oh, wow. Yeah, so, there, so there's different regions and then there's different... Um, and then there's different like normative ranges. Now there's there's you can go to labtest.com or labtests online, and they're gonna have a range. And if you actually start looking, comparing all these co- all these different companies, you're gonna find that they're all slightly different. Like, so the range gets bigger and bigger than right? overall, right? And so the reality is is that these ranges are designed for diagnosing disease and identifying when someone is truly sick. And so, um, so in even, other words, if you're outside of the range, you might have you, you, the likelihood that you have a disease is high. That's but the likelihood that the insurance know. companies will pay for the doctor to act. Oh, so that's Whoa. important. 
right? <laughs> like people never think about the healthcare system like this. They think so the system. So having it high like that's good. Is some <laughs> <laughs> people think that the system is somehow designed to serve you, and it's actually not. It's designed to serve the insurance companies so that they can decide what you will get, mm. and they don't want to. So they up. just yeah. yeah, it's just the truth. Okay, and like anybody who works in healthcare knows this. So, um, so when you look at a range, you want. To, you want to always ask your doctor, like, how did they decide how to interpret that number? And, you know, I personally think that the numbers for men's testosterone are, like, really, really low. Like, you have to be so, 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 so low testosterone to get a, to get a diagnosis of hypogodonism that, like, you're basically, I don't want to use these words, but, like, you're, you're basically, like, a prepubescent girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're really soft. And yeah. at this, so so when we were when we were using different um, hormones to boost up to optimize health, we were doing it with the knowledge that like we don't want to push you out of that range, which is something that happens when people are taking hormones from God knows where they got them, mm -hmm. right? Or then maybe they don't have a doctor supervision. You can end up, you know, it, it's kind of like the '80s bodybuilders who we're all taking the hormones because they, they were kind of like dosing themselves. I mean, this is the same problem you see in the LSD microdosing world. It's like when you don't have someone who has experience watching and making sure that you're not hurting yourself, you can really hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. So the key is, is that you want to stay within the range and you want to stay in the optimal range. And like there's different standard deviations of, of normal for every lab. Yeah. I think this highlights how important it is to hear how the patient feels also yes. because- I was, was going to ask you, can you give an example of like where someone might be off the, the normal range, but that's because they're doing something okay. that you know about and it's like, well, you're not bad. I mean, I guess the thing I want to emphasize is like thyroid hormone. Most doctors are just looking at TSH and free T4 mm -hmm. and they're not looking at free T3, which is the active thyroid hormone. Right. And they're not looking at total T4 and total T3 and they're not seeing what's being converted. So, or what about antibodies too? Or reverse T3 yeah, or antibodies. Right. So if you're not looking at a full thyroid panel and you're just saying, Oh, your TSH is normal. What if you like ridiculously have thyroid symptoms and you just, there's no way of knowing because all they do is say your TSH is normal. And that is like how medicine is practiced in mm. most of the country. I had a client like that where she had all the symptoms of hypothyroidism, but they would test her TSH and T4. And they're like, no, you're normal, you're normal. So she had to go find specialists and then they tested her antibodies and whatever. Uh -huh. And they're like, oh, you have autoimmune issues yeah. and, and your body's producing this thyroid, but you're not utilizing nope. it. So it's like you have no thyroid. Yeah. Wow. And so she had to get, I mean, but this took her, by the way, like a year and a half. Okay. So I had a patient just like this who did not want to take thyroid hormone. And I said, look, we can do our best to optimize your autoimmunity. And we did. But at the end of the day, like he didn't want to take the drugs. And so he suffered for two years. And you know what happened? He went to another doctor. <laughs> doctor says, you know, you have Hashimoto's, right? And he's like, yeah, well, he's, and the other doctor basically convinced him. He's like, you should just take this. And the other doctor's older, wider, more, um, you know, like more experienced. And he, so he just starts taking the thyroid hormone and he's like, oh my God, I feel so good. And I'm <laughs> like, like, you fucker. Well, you know, you know, you could have done this. Like I gave, you threw away the bottle I prescribed you like two years ago. <laughs> yeah, you need to have white hair. That's what it is. <laughs> no, Maybe right? some white That's hair it. and some, some speckles. But, wig. you know, it's just, it's a delicate thing though, because like now, now you get, now once you're on it, you're like, okay, it, it, your month to month things can change and like your dose can change and your needs can change and. So you got to go by, I think at this point- A lot point, of it's feeling when it comes to hormones. That's it. It's very subjective because again, same exact person I was talking about earlier, she'll tell me like, oh, you know, 
I, too much thyroid. I need to start lowering yeah. it a little bit because I'm getting the symptoms. I think we of- should be prescribing kits of like microdosed thyroid hormones so you can do, do like so you can like literally dose up to what feels right for you. So you so you can go by the smallest increment of, yeah. of, of up or down. You know that would be brilliant. Yeah, would be. I know. I think that's a business idea. There's so many ideas, Doctor Molly. We might want to start with uh, <laughs> the mind pump. Yeah, and you know the same thing with, uh, with with we talked about testosterone like. You could be a man and you could have lower testosterone in the range, but you could have incredible androgen receptor density mm-hmm. where you've got all these receptors, so less testosterone. For you, you may feel great. Or the flip, you may have all this testosterone. You talk, look, I, you know, because I've been in the industry I for as long right. as- And because I've been in the industry as long as I have, I've talked to many uh, men who've been on anabolic steroids. Mm-hmm. So they're taking- a lot of testosterone and they'll have symptoms of low testosterone because the receptors start to shut off. So yeah, now these guys are taking regulation right? totally. So they're taking testosterone and they've got the testosterone of like 50 gorillas and they can't even get a boner because mm. all the receptors come down or they have down. really high sex hormone binding globulin. Yes. Or that, or right. Which actually makes it kind of, inert, I, have right? a, I have a client who has like way too high of such sex hormone binding globulin. And we're trying to figure out why, because he, it, we think it could be related to too much thyroid hormone. He got prescribed, uh, maybe his dose is too high and that could be pushing up the, the, but like, I'm just like racking my brain. Like you've got a 1500 natural testosterone level, but your free testosterone looks like you're, you're deficient. And so how do you lower uh, that? Um, you- we're trying a bunch of supplements right now, but like, I think he needs to go down on his thyroid dose. Mm. So very trying, interesting. Trying to figure it out. Cool. All right. Next question is from, uh, what does that say? Miss Patronus 1996. What kind of diet would you recommend for a woman suffering from polycystic ovary syndrome to rebalance hormones, promote fat loss, etc.? Did I, you know that it stood for that PCOS? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So, polycystic ovarian. Ovarian. Yeah. yeah. So, so what? Uh, what? Um, first of all, explain what that is, before, so, so people know. PCOS is a pretty pretty uh, common hormonal disorder in a lot of women living in. Western countries where you end up with insulin resistance in your ovaries and insulin resistance throughout your body and you end up with um, high androgens. So you get things like hercetism and you get things like Which acne. Which is hair, more hairiness. More hair, acne. Oh. Um, and, and these are-, are What th- most women are not looking for, right? Yeah, no, and, not and, fun. And is this, mm. is this because of the name of it, is it, does it mean you're literally getting cysts on your Yeah, you, you see, ovaries? you find, you, if you do an ultrasound, you find cysts on the ovaries. Wow. And you also, um, a lot of these women have infertility issues and abnormal menstrual periods. How, how different is that from like something like endometriosis? Well, endometriosis is when the lining of your uterus sort of escapes your uterus and starts growing into your pelvic region. It's a very different, very different problem. Oh, okay. okay. Um, but the problem with PCOS is that we have a lot of people who are just living off of refined carbs and sugar, right? Like talk to any young woman. What do they eat in college? Like they're, they're eating, they're eating carbs and they're doing Hot cardio. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, this is one population where I would recommend someone go on a month month long ketogenic diet just to just to do just to snap back your your body into like not being insulin um, not having to to be experiencing such an incredible insulin resistance um, from from this condition and being able to resensitize your body towards um, you know like using a different energy energy source because a lot of these women just cannot lose weight because their body cannot metabolize carbohydrates. Wow. Uh, another thing I would recommend if that's the case is resistance training. Resistance training for sure. Yeah. Cause nothing, 
I mean, resistance training by far of all the forms of exercise that'll help your body deal with insulin long term mm-hmm. is resistance training because you're building muscle, you're conditioning it, and muscle is a great tissue to help balance out, you know, how your body uses sugar and how your body deals with insulin. There's actually a really cool Instagrammer um, called Lee from Lee from America, and she's this young lady in her 20s who's like totally dealt with PCOS, and her website is filled with experiences and descriptions of what she's gone through. So follow her if you want to learn even more because she's just a wealth of knowledge for a young 25-year-old. She knows so much about What was her Instagram handle again? Lee from America. So what are the symptoms of this? Uh, Is there a lot of pain during their periods? Um, So oftentimes they, they have missed periods. So they're they're not even having periods sometimes. It's it's a lot of um, irregularity. How do they find? How do they? They're not ovulating. How do they diagnose uh, PCOS? Is it through? Uh, um, it's through symptoms and through ultrasound, but okay. you you don't have to have the ultrasound for the diagnosis anymore. I believe um, it's a constellation of symptoms and, and lab lab tests. Um, but for a lot, so I, I met another doctor whose wife was really suffering from PCOS. And he put her on the ketogenic diet and she got pregnant. So wow. I was pretty impressed. Wow. I was pretty wow, impressed. Wow, that's super rad. Mm-hmm. And you're saying that, the, that they're not uh, ovulating? Yeah. Oh, I didn't mm-hmm. know that that happens with PCOS. Yeah. And, and how common would you say it is? Oh, I think it's really common. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Does, does birth control affect oh, they put, something they, like they this? They put you on birth control. To help? To, to help with all the symptoms. How to quote unquote regulate your periods, but the thing is, you're just not gonna, you're not, you're definitely not gonna be ovulating. What it does is just gives you more consistent periods. It doesn't fix the problem. It lowers your. Um, so what what happens when you go on birth control is it actually will raise your sex hormone binding globulin, which will bind up more hormone. So it does make you feel better because you're not dealing with this crazy hormonal nonsense. But it doesn't fix the problem. It just covers it up. Wow. So it's just covering up the symptom. Mm-hmm. On that note, with birth control, what are you? What are your feelings? I'm on? glad you went there. I yeah. wanted to right. That's oh, what I was going to ask you talk about it. Yeah. What do you? I mean, like, look, I was on them for I was on birth off and on for a lot of my 20s, and then went decided to go off of it in my 30s because I was like, you know, I'm going to want to eventually have kids, and I'm just I just have a bad feeling about being on something that I know is shutting down my my, my right for that access. And you know, so um. You know, I think it, I think for a lot of women, it's a cover up for our problems. It's like, how do we deal with all of our hormonal problems? We just cover it up with birth control. And, you know, I was able to fix a lot of my hormonal acne issues with with diet. But also my liver was not in the best condition after going off of birth control. And I realized that, like, I had some detoxification issues that I needed to remedy. And um, so, like... Another reason why it's it's fun to start biohacking your genetics is because you can start learning all about your detoxification of different hormones. And I have some. Um, there's a really good, great company called Precision Hormones that does this dried urine urine test. And most people aren't looking at the whole um, metabolism of hormones; they're just looking at the blood hormones and just doing like a quick check, mm-hmm. like once a year maybe. And that doesn't give you enough data to know how your hormones are being metabolized. So if you have any issues with um, catecholamethyltransferase or with CYP1B1 or CYP2DA. Like these are things that you can test for and learn about. And so I take a bunch of supplements now that can help me balance my hormones. What kind of, if someone goes to the doctor and has, and wants to have a hormone panel. You want you really want to go to a functional doctor. Okay. I was you just really going to say. You want to somebody who's, who's got their, you know, chops. Do, do, do insurance, does insurance cover functional? Some of it's starting to cover it. So it's a company, okay. um, that my friend, James Maskell has just started that's mm-hmm. trying to create 
a more uh, affordable version of functional medicine for the masses. I think he might actually pull it off, but they're, he told me that they're working with insurance companies and that they're paying doctors. And I'm like, if that's really happening, that's amazing. I think it'll save them money eventually because they're doing so such totally a good job. I totally agree. Right? I totally agree. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, well, you know, it's an interesting point you made about birth control earlier. There, there's got to be a large chunk of, and I'm, I'm sure it's not the majority, but a, a sizable minority of women who are prescribed birth control, not because they're trying not to get pregnant. No, to remedy something else. To control. Treating, oh yeah. my God. Birth control is literally mm. prescribed for everything under the sun in, in obstetrics to treat every hormonal problem. Because what does wow. it do really well? It turns off your hormones, right? It's like, a, what it does is it's a feedback loop switch, right? So it's mm. like, you guys know this. You take testosterone enough, you can shut down your gonadal axis and you won't make yep. as much sperm. That's right. Same thing happens with women's ovaries. Right, you give them enough estrogen, it'll it'll have negative feedback loop on the brain, and it'll start shutting down ovulation. Mm. And you know, we wonder why so many women are struggling with infertility. And here's the fascinating. Here's what really fascinates me. Mm -hmm. and you can find these studies now. They're starting to find that women's preferences in, you know, uh, the opposite sex changes when they're on birth control. 100% versus, agree. Yeah, and did you, did you that? was part that? of the reason why I went off oh, of it. Did you start noticing that no you were dating different guys after the fact or well, what? You wanted more manly men probably afterwards or yeah. something like that. I, That's what it's supposed to be. I, I don't know if it was more manly men, but I did feel like I was worried that I would meet the man of my dreams, go off birth control, and then not want him anymore. That's a statistic, that, by the way. I've heard that that can happen. Yes, wow. that's a real statistic. Divorce rates go up. Like It's a significant, it's, it's a not thing. a huge number, but yeah. But like I also know that like, I feel like um, pheromones are important, mes like chemical messengers, and they, they, like a lot of what's happening in our in interactions with people is actually unspoken. And I feel like when it comes to sexual attraction, I want the most authentic attraction to come from my body, right? right? Like I want my body to be telling me what it should be. Like I want to be like, yeah, this is real, not like. Am, am I into him or am I not into him? You know, like so I just want I, security right confused. now. Yeah. I, read, I read this whole article on it where they showed all these tests and you know, they showed, you know, they took pictures of men and then they, they digitally feminized the faces or digitally Whoa. masculinized the faces. Whoa. And it was subtle. It was subtle. So you could see it was the same person, but you could tell one is a little more feminine. One's a little more masculine. When women are ovulating, they mostly want the masculine version. When they're not, they want the more feminine version. When they're on birth control, the feminine version. And so it definitely mm. changes your preferences. And then they, they interviewed this one woman in this article I read where she said that she loved the way her husband smelled and she loved every, all, you know, it just, it just being around and putting her nose up to him and smelling him. Then she went off birth control and she could not stand his smell. Oh my God. Anymore. Oh <laughs> my God. That's terrifying. <laughs> See, no. wouldn't that suck to have to deal with that? Oh yeah. my God, that'd you know? be terrible. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a gigantic experiment we've been doing. And we don't yes. really totally know <laughs> if we've, we've, we've heard, I mean, I mean, I'm just looking at signals from society and you know, there is part of it is women are waiting to longer to have kids. I'm yes. one of them. But the other question is, is like, do we, do we have to start asking ourselves, like, are we contributing to the infertility epidemic with this many hormones? Mm -hmm. We I, don't know. I think so. I think it's a, it's an experiment with us. We don't know. With our biology, I also think socially it's been a big experiment because yes. for the first time in history, look, forever, forever, up until you know recently in human history, sex was con was connected with pleasure, connection, and babies. Mm -hmm. And now what we've done is we've eliminated 
babies out of that. And that is a big <laughs> yeah. social experiment. It is. And yeah. so there's a lot of, you know, sociologists that comment on that and stuff. I think it's very fascinating, but yeah, excellent. All right. So the next question is from, uh, what does that say there? Jay Feline. No, Jaylene There you go. Yeah. Read. Thanks, Doug. Yeah. Jaylene something like that. <laughs> makeup and skincare in relation to health. Oh my gosh. Please. Yeah. Let's talk about that. What okay. about makeup and skincare stuff? Do we need to worry about what's yeah, in that? So, can I just say that if I die from anything that I've done to myself, it's probably the amount of chemicals I've been putting on my body since I was in maybe sixth grade. Um, because there are endocrine disruptors everywhere, especially in women's beauty products. And like, I'm actually in the process of trying to like, as a side project, not that I really need to do this, but because it's fun, I'm developing a bunch of um, products in my kitchen right now because like, I'm looking at all these things that I'm putting in my body regularly. And I'm like, really? Am I doing this? Like, are we doing harm to our ability to actually reproduce by putting things on our body and making ourselves look a certain way in order to reproduce, and right? That, uh, the know? irony in that. The irony the in The irony it. in that is crazy when you think about that. That's uh, such a great point. Yeah. That, oh, I finally met someone because I'm hot and now we can have kids. Oops, can't have kids. Right? So I'm, I'm wondering if like that's part of like why a lot of women have hormonal dysfunction is maybe it's because we're painting our bodies with all sorts of chemicals every day and like every single woman in Hollywood and music today has got a makeup line now and I'm sorry but the Kardashians and what they have done to people's faces uh, <laughs> like dude, have you guys seen on Instagram everything. like what people are doing now with contouring it's just gross. We touched on this a while ago, and we get, it got really sensitive. Remember, I think we had some pushback on some people that were all mad at because us. Because it's it's it's, it's they, like you're painting a new face yeah, on your face. You're just it a is new person. It's a completely new person. You're masking your beauty, and so like I, what I want is like I and I, I found through a bunch of really cool products. Like you can get really good skin with with great skin products, but like. I have celiac. Uh, a lot of women in, in media have autoimmune diseases. A lot of my friends have autoimmune diseases. And like, I keep on asking myself, okay, is autoimmunity definitely part of the fact that like we have such disordered gut microbiomes? But also, is it because so many women, and which by the way, autoimmunity definitely affects women more than men. Oh, yeah, you like, guys are more sensitive to it. Like maybe, maybe it has to do with what we're putting on our bodies. I was going to say more sensitive or more that you've been disrupting it for so long. Maybe we've been disrupting our bodies for so long. Yeah, because endocrine disruptors, for people that know what that means, these are, these are chemicals that have a weak affinity for hormone receptors or they affect the yeah. hormonal system. Yeah. So, okay. Okay, and on top of that, like how many women are just like so mean to themselves psychologically there's always a psychological component of every disease right and like i keep on asking myself how can a country like america really heal if so many of us are told to hate our bodies and hate our minds yeah. and ha hate hate our faces and hate the way we were naturally born and have to be someone else okay. you know like i actually got funny guys i got a um i got a private message from a young lady from from the mind pub podcast who had breast implants. And I guess this is kind of like a side side discussion, but um, I guess we're on the topic of cosmetics and cosmetic mm -hmm. changes for beauty and health and for, for, you know, overall health, overall health and, and confidence. And I'm convinced that like, she's, she has like, um, you know, breast implant related autoimmunity, you know, because she's, she basically got implants and right after that developed autoimmune disease. Is that mm -hmm. common? Is that happening that often? It's, it's considered to be a condition. Like doctors are, like there are women who It's like, controversial only because there's so much pushback from the cosmetic surgery community. They don't want people to to know that there's these negative. But like, like let's that. get How real. Like if your body is rejecting something yeah. and and like what, what my theory is, is what's happening is like when, 
when you put something foreign in your body and it starts, your body starts attacking the foreign object, your body starts making scar tissue around that object. Encapsulation. And then your your tissue is like still trying to attack th- attack things and you can get crash reactivity with your own body, right? Like, I agree. Hmm. I agree 100%. And also- it's, God, what a bummer. And also just from a esoteric right? standpoint- I'm Such okay. a fake boob guy. Yeah. <laughs> he is. Oh yeah. I'm a, I'm a Proclaimed. Yeah. You know yeah. what, dude? It's Well, the technology does seem to be getting better and better for yeah. these implants, but- Here's the thing. And I look, I, I get it. So, you know, it's your body. Do as you wish. And, and, and I understand for some people, I, I get, actually, it doesn't matter. It's your body. Do as you wish. But- on an esoteric level, if you think about it, you hate yourself so much, you hate your body so much. And we know that our thoughts and how we think about things affects us biologically. We yeah, know this we know for this. a fact. For a fact, I can literally measure chemicals in your body and hormones. Have you think about happy thoughts? Have you think about sad mm-hmm. thoughts? Have you get stressed out? And we can see things changing. 100% agree. And, and those are the things that we know to measure and we know the relation. There's a lot of things we still don't even understand so if you hate on your body enough, can that manifest into your body then attacking itself? Theoretically, I, I could see that being a possibility. Absolutely. Right. You, you know? know, interestingly, there's um, there's plenty of research on stress and blood sugar. And I, I don't know if I mentioned this last time I was here, but people who are exposed to racism have higher blood sugars, mm-hmm. have higher risk of blood sugar problems later in life. I mean, like kids with um, adverse childhood experiences have much higher rates of chronic diseases later in life and depression. Mm-hmm. Mm. So absolutely. This is why, I mean, like a spiritual or meditative practice, mm-hmm. I firmly believe, and this is something that I've only recently added into my, you know, my lifestyle because it was always, it was the last brick because up until rather relatively recently, it was like, okay, exercise. Yes. And then eating right. And then that changed a lot and learning about nutrition and then it became okay about sleep and, and okay, have good relationships. And it was like, the last thing was like this spiritual practice. And when I, when I really examined things, I looked and I said, well, you know, spiritual practices in some way, shape or form have been a part of human history and we're wired to have these experiences. Mm -hmm. It's probably an important thing that we should, like you exercise your muscles. Why not exercise that part of you? Yep. Because that can turn into other, you know, health things. So, so obviously less is more as far as the makeup is concerned. I mean, but just, is there good products out there's there? There's like um, the Environmental Working Group has a website that you can start running all of your cosmetics through. And oh, that's cool. I actually one of my projects that I haven't done yet that's on my to do list is to basically take my bathroom and run everything through it, <laughs> find out what do I got to throw away. What's the website you know? called? Environmental Working Group. Excellent. Dot um, org or dot com? Do you know? Dot uh, org, I believe, oh. and um, they. There was a there's a study that um, is worth mentioning called the Hermosa study, and it was they took a bunch of Hispanic young women and had them measure their urine before and after removing most of their cosmetics from their uh-huh. regimens, and they found that like the chemicals in their urine dramatically were dramatically lowered, like there was a dramatic difference in the amount of wow. excretion of these of these chemicals that mm, really shouldn't organ. be in a yeah. lot of these. The problem is, is that a lot of these, um, a lot of the worst cosmetics affect the most impoverished people because they're not taken out of the cheap products yet. So like mm. you can still find triclosan in Johnson and Johnson products. You can still find, which is an antibiotic, right? Yeah. Anti- yeah. Antimicrobial. Okay. You can still find phthalates in nail polishes. You can still find parabens. Even I find parabens in expensive products sometimes, but generally speaking, you find these in the in the cheaper products. And who buys cheaper products? Well, people who can't afford the more expensive ones. And so, like, it's not fair that like the people who are suffering the most are probably the people who um, don't have the, the education to know better to choose more 
uh, healthier products. But frankly, like a lot, of, what a lot of women don't know is that you can make pretty amazing body oils from like coconut oil and essential oils. You know, like simple stuff like that. You can you can make your own cosmetics. My girlfriend uses avocado oil. Oh, it's she'll, great. She'll use that on her legs, and I'm like, dang, what do you got in your Mm-hmm. Legs, they taste good. Uh, <laughs> but uh, TMI, bro. <laughs> my bad. All right, final question is from Elizabeth H. Harris. Strategies for the middle-aged female athlete: uh, how to manage and balance hormones, adrenal function, thyroid, etc., with high levels of physical physical activity. Bottom line: the impact on the endocrine system as a whole. Okay, so this might be controversial because I have clients who are pro hormones and against hormones. Some of the ones that are against them tend to be the ones that are like, just fundamentally believe that all drugs are bad and they should be not using anything ever. But that being said, um, you know, I think that if you look at society, if you look at humanity, it's really amazing that we're living past 50, right? Because like our lifespans are just getting longer and longer. But so, so we didn't really have to worry about menopause like 200 years ago. People just died, right? <laughs> so now people are living. And the question is, is do we want to live with the, you know, the, like the fact is, is that you've got like 200 receptor sites in your body for estrogen. And your brain is just a fundamentally different brain when you don't have estrogen. So um, what typically happens to people in cultures where they don't have access to hormone replacement is men as they age start reducing their testosterone production and women as they age start reducing their estrogen production. And if you look at old people, they start kind of looking like each other, right? They kind of lose their gender identity, which is fine. You know, it's totally fine if you want to age like an old Chinese woman in the middle of rural China, that's fine. But like we live in a modern life where we have technology that can enable us to live differently. And my personal belief is that when I hit the age of menopause, I'm definitely going to be taking hormones and I'm definitely going to be tweaking them based on my labs because I don't want to suffer. And mm-hmm. I want to, I, I want to be able to do things with my body till, you know, later in life. So, so my personal preference would be that if I was a middle-aged woman, I would get tons of hormone testing. I would go to an expert doctor and um, and I would get replacement based off of what I needed. Do you, do you think being a, a competitive type of athlete at this age, uh, it makes it easier or more challenging for, for this person? Well, the thing about being a competitive athlete is you know you're putting your body under an even more stress. Because I'm guessing this person is probably a high performer in other areas of her life, which means like, you know, rare, how many competitive athletes do you know that are in their middle age that are just doing that? Right. right? Yeah. So I'm guessing she's probably an executive or probably somebody who has right. like- How you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, so in, when you're, you're working a lot and you're exercising a lot, you have to ask yourself, how are you, how are you recovering from the stress? And so that's really a big important part. But then, um, when you're doing like high levels of physical activity, the question is, is like, um, how is that affecting your body? Right? Like I, I think we've talked about this before, but when I see, sometimes I see people who get into CrossFit and I see them get like this really strong, like really strong limbs, but then they have like a gut. And it's because oftentimes I think that it's like high, it looks like a high cortisol habitus. It looks like somebody who's got too much cortisol. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if someone, a lot of women have thyroid dysfunction. It's just such a problem that, like, I'm surprised people don't these days. But, um, you know, the the question she has to find out is, like, where does she have a problem and where can she mitigate that problem? Where Where is the delta that needs to be addressed? Um, for somebody who's super, ha- who's, who's a super crazy athlete, 
you know, adaptogens are key, but you want to make sure you're taking the right ones for your body. Um, I just found out that ashwagandha is a nightshade. So if somebody's like got autoimmunity, that might not be the best one for them. Right, right. Um, mm. Goji berries as well are mm. nightshades. Not great for people with autoimmunities. So, um, so I would get tested. So I would get, um, I would get typical blood labs, including estrogen, progesterone, um, sex hormone binding globulin, testosterone. But for a woman, you want to make sure you get the LCMS, not the, um, not the the other test, which is. Um, for men and that's because like certain testosterone tests will not pick up the testosterone in women if uh with with as much with as much sensitivity the elisa test is one you don't want if you're a woman um and so you want the high sensitivity one then you want to get um crp you want to get homocysteine to check your inflammation and your uh, oxidative stress and then you also want to check your dheas your morning cortisol and then you want to look at your cortisol rhythm and you want to look at your hormone metabolism. And then you want to get that full thyroid panel that I told you about before. Mm. And that's the, those are the same tests that we were doing at GeneSol that I still do in my practice today. And I do them because I think that um, it gives you a nice picture of how your hormones are responding to your daily life. And then in these people, I would also look at heart rate variability. You make a, you make a good point because at the end of the day, it's about quality of life. Mm -hmm. And if a medication, and I, we always say this too on the show, because sometimes we come across as anti all medicines. And I think we come across that way sometimes because we're so over-medicated, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, if, if it improves your quality of life, then, then go the key for it. is Why dosing. Not? Like I always start people on the lowest possible dose. Like, the, like I, had a, I had a client with pretty much zero testosterone. She's like, I wonder why I have no libido. I'm like, well, why don't we just start you on a, a tiny bit of testosterone? And by tiny, I mean like the, the pharmacist I was speaking to at the compounding pharmacy was like, you do realize this is like really, really, really small dose, right? Mm -hmm. And she's like, we never, we never dose this low. I'm like, well, I want to dose this low. Gave it to my client. She totally noticed a difference. And she's like, I don't, and I was like, you know, you can go up if you want, but you don't have to. She, she was like, this is perfect. Yeah. So yeah. like, turns out you can actually do really well with lower doses of things. You well, can. And the other thing too, to consider here, we're talking about a female. Now, men and women are, are very different in this, in, in one, in many regards, but in this regard in particular, men, if we're healthy, if we're fit, if we eat adequate fat intake and, you know, we've got good strength and all that stuff, theoretically speaking, we can we can produce, we produce sperm up until the day we die. We can actually, theoretically speaking, impregnate someone until the day we die. Even so if we, cool. even if we live, yeah, <laughs> even if we live until, you know, the age of 80. Great powers. Now women go through a change where they literally, their body's no longer fertile. Like you cannot have well, you kids can, anymore. You can, you can, interestingly, you can not produce eggs, but women can have babies with the aid of hormones for a lot longer than we realized. Yeah. Like, yeah. Definitely. Just, but I'm, just, what, would you, what, what would you speculate? How long? Um, women have done it in their fifties. Yeah, their fifties. Okay. Yeah. But still, there's this this change that happens naturally in a woman's body where she stops having. And evolutionary evolutionary uh, scientists think that this happened because the role of the grandmother mm -hmm. was so important in the tribe, mm -hmm. where she needed to stop having babies so that she could help her daughter, you know, to, or her son or whatever, take care of their babies. And so this became this like evolutionary strategy, if you Interesting. will. Interesting. So it's a big change, but yeah, even, you know, here's the thing, like if you tackle everything, including your sleep, your exercise, your diet, and you're doing all the things right and you're resting because mm -hmm. you're a high level athlete, 
you know, you might be overdoing everything. Like, well, like, that's like I, I feel like questions like this remind me of like the we get a lot of these. They're just different. They're just totally. phrased differently. It's like the eat eat your cake and have it too. It's you're, if you're ask you're asking a health question. How do I take care of my health or keep something healthy? Meanwhile, while I'm this competitive athlete in advanced age, like. You know, when a lot of people we think athletes are are healthy, but doesn't you can be athletic, but you you doesn't necessarily oh mean you're oh healthy. Oh my god, totally. And so it's really like, where are your priorities? Like, is your priorities in in the you know the endocrine system and being healthy, or is it in being a optimal athlete? And if it's being an optimal athlete, there's no doubt I'm going to push you in the directions of okay, well then you know taking hormones, getting this done, maybe we go that route because you care more about that. But if you look at me as a client, say uh, I like to run, I have these athletic things I like to do, but it's less of a priority than my health yeah. and the advice I give is going to be different. Yeah, to try that. And it's same thing with being a man. Like, you know, uh, once I hit my mid forties and fifties, if I think to myself like, God, I'm not like I used to be when I was in my twenties, right? I could take testosterone and, and start to feel like I used to, sure. um, or, or not in, in understand that I'm well, aging or whatever. But as far as quality of life is concerned, I'm hundred percent on one board of the things that I, I'm kind of against though, is this obsession in San Francisco and Silicon Valley of people taking growth hormone because is that a big thing? In, it's a really here? big thing. Yeah. yeah. A lot of, I mean, I've, oh my God, I was at a party once and I literally saw these two guys that I know, like one guy was handing the other guy like a, like a kit for growth hormone. And I was like, is that what I think it is? And they were like, don't, you didn't see that. And I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> that just happened. And I was like, it's cool. Like I totally understand what you guys are doing. It's not a big deal, but like, what I don't understand is why people even, by the way, this is like, funnily enough, um, someone quoted in this, in this article that was written about me that like Peter Thiel uses growth hormone. And so I immediately texted my friend who's his doctor and I was like, I didn't say that. I did not say that that was like he, I didn't even mention his name, but it, it apparently was public knowledge at this point. So the, the journalist was writing about it mm. and I found out that that was true. And I was just like, do people, I mean, people who want to live forever, why are they taking a substance that definitely leads to increased risk of cancer. Like if you have a little bit of cancer and you you pour growth hormone on it, right. it's gonna grow. In the context of, of inflammation and, and this cancer, is where that's gonna, that's this is idea. the thing. Like when I start using replacement hormones later in life, later later in life, you better bet your bridges. I'm gonna be getting MRIs on a yearly basis checking for cancer. Like because these are growth hormones, right? Like hormones help us grow. And part of what sucks about aging is we don't grow as much. We start we start declining. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be vigilant about cancer if you're going to be doing these things because you are at risk. Like That's a good point because if you had like an an estrogen sensitive cancer exactly. and you're taking estrogen, exactly. You know, it could be a bad but thing. But even more of a reason to make sure that your lifestyle is healthy. Even more of a reason to like you know, since our last podcast, I've actually like really reevaluated my lifestyle because I'm starting to ask myself like as I start studying more Chinese medicine, there's this idea of um, when you fully exhaust yourself, you're actually draining your quote unquote jing, which is this source of energy and, and vitality and life force. And I'm kind of like, well, maybe the Chinese people actually had, had had some knowledge on this that like me letting myself get so exhausted that like I basically sleep for like 14 hours on occasion. Maybe that's not good for me, you know, long term. Mm. So I've been asking myself like, where can I... Um, where can I actually find places in my life where I can just say, I'm going to do less? That's so rad. So you're studying mm -hmm. Chinese medicine right now. I mean, I, I'm studying a lot of things, but one of the things that I'm personally interested in is Chinese herbs. There's apparently like 50 Chinese herbs that are like the compendium of like the, like the, I, I had, I had some er herbal tonics in LA, um, at the super hippie, amazing grocery store called Erewhon, as you probably see in my Instagram mm -hmm. stories is my favorite place in the whole world. 
And I drank these these tonics and I was just like, this is insane how good I feel. I, and I was just like, I've got to figure out what this is all about. So now I'm just like studying all the adaptogens. That's and so awesome. Bought some deer antler velvet. What are some of the things you're finding? What do you think? What are you yeah, finding tell interesting me about right now? Deer antler velvet. I've, Apparently, it's a tonic for libido and testosterone. And um, remember the kick on the deer antler spray for uh, oh, yeah. that was for Dude, a hot minute was like the big thing. Did you start I taking it? it? I mean, I have some, and I put it in my. I'm putting it in my um, my my like tonics that I'm. Is creating. it working? I mean, I I'm actually fairly celibate right now, so. It, I feel like I have a good libido, but like it's being transformed into my work, <laughs> not into my sex, so you're, sex life. You're horny for Could be you're hungry. <laughs> Could be you're hungry too. She, I, you she's know, reading the fuck out of the books right now. Like, oh. I legitimately I am like, hyper productive. Vegetables. Yeah. I'm hyper productive. Like I am in love with my vegetables, but like not like that. That's gross. Um, you guys are cucumbers. Terrible. Delicious. You guys are terrible. I'm just, I'm just trying to tie it all in. That's this all. is ridiculous. Uh, no, but I legit am. I am. I'm interested in this concept of like the the balance of Chinese herbs and achieving more of a sense of well-being and because like you can have one like this tonic was like $16 let's get real like I was like this is ridiculous this cannot be this much money and so I started looking at all the ingredients and then I went back down to LA and I went to the store and I go hey can you just like kind of like screenshot that recipe because I want to make this found out what all I found out that like I was using the wrong amounts of things like too much shilajit and you know and so I've been I've been modifying mine but like I'm 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 kind of like being guided by how I feel, but also now that I'm lurking into the actual science behind all this, I'm like, there are man thousands of years behind all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So if I had three of me and I didn't have like five jobs, I would probably be like going back to school. But I have a textbook and I have the ability to read. And one of the things that I really find the most valuable of my medical education was that I learned how to teach myself anything. Mm. I didn't go to all my classes. I spent a lot of time watching videos. I spent a lot of time in my room just feeling, frankly, like garbage because like I didn't take great care of myself for part of medical school. So I learned how to teach myself everything through just watching videos and reading textbooks. And that's how I learn now. That's so awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the Western medicine is based off of the scientific method. Mm-hmm. Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine are not because they weren't using the scientific method. And what the scientific method does very, very well is it breaks things down into components, into right. pieces, and then it dives in super deep on those pieces and really gets a good understanding of those pieces. But through doing that, it loses sight of the entire of the entire thing, which is why Western medicine tends to treat the human organism as pieces. Like right. go to a hormone doctor, go to a gut health doctor, go to a doctor that works on the nervous system. Whereas with Chinese medicine, it's the it's the human organism, and it always has been. So when they look at like herbs and how or, your organs worth, you know, whatever, they're looking at you from a whole perspective. So for chronic issues, I have lots of experience with Chinese medicine. My uncle uh, is a Chinese herbalist. Cool. And uh, I mean, I've learned a lot from him and that's how he explains it. And he goes, you know, we, we, when it comes to chronic issues, like if you go to a Chinese medicine doctor and you tell them you have some chronic issue, they're going to look at your diet. They're going to look mm-hmm. at how you sleep. They're going to look at you know, uh, how you're moving. They're gonna look at the types of, you know, foods you're eating. And then they're gonna look at herbs and based on all those things and your whole life, then that determines how, what percentage and your emotions. of your And your emotions. That's another thing that they take into account that right. we don't even consider. Right, right, you know? right. We so, just like, well, go to the mental health department. That's right, know? that's right. That's why I think it's so fascinating. I'm really happy that someone like you is, is diving into that. Well, so the cool. thing is, is that um, a few years ago, one there's a Chinese researcher who, won the Nobel Prize for finding the cure for malaria. And it was an old Chinese formula that like, 
how is she getting that's a Nobel so Prize cool. for this that's already been around for thousands of years? Like, <laughs> oh, that's interesting. That's amazing. Yeah. I won the prize for reading an old book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I anyway. mean, I'm sure it was more than that, but like still, the, the, ugh, it's just, art, I think it was Artemisin or something, some, something like that. Awesome. Um, do you feel like we're going in the right direction with that or do you think we're getting worse? Do you think? We're I think China is totally, totally losing losing their most one of the most valuable things that they've ever contributed towards society by adopting the western model of medicine mm, wow yeah they are buying up as many antibiotics as they can they are building clinics just like we have they are like people are getting sicker and sicker and they've got far more pollution than we do and they think that that the western model is somewhat more valuable they really value our healthcare like mm-hmm. our healthcare model because it makes a lot of money it makes that's, a lot of money yeah, that's why <laughs> they value oh, the shit out of it because it puts fucking yeah. money in their pocket yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Turns out. So like I I I'm I feel like it needs to be preserved and I don't think that necessarily everything that they have that's applicable to their culture is necessarily like perfectly applicable to Western cultures, but um that's because they have different genetics than we do. And I feel I feel the same way about Ayurvedic, like dosha dosha like do, doshas. Like I don't actually think that the Ayurvedic nutritional model is necessarily like purely translatable to someone with different genetics than that. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's something that we can learn from every cultural yes. medicine. Yes. That, that like, if you, if you, I mean like acupuncture, come on. Yes. Cupping. Yes, absolutely. I think there's, there's, there's lots of truth in all of those things. And if you look at all of them, you get a much clearer total picture. Yes. Well, I think where it gets all muddy is because some of the things that we can't explain. And when someone tries to, that's where you get the counter, right? It's you the get language some, that they yeah, use. It's, the, it's just the same yeah. thing I used to feel about talking to somebody who, you know, was into mas- massage therapy or hearing someone talk about chi. It's like we give names to these things that we're uncertain of that we've been using or been practicing for hundreds or thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And then you get the, the the Western scientists that come in now. There's like, oh, that's a made up word or we can't measure that right, or prove right. that. So we're just going to disregard it yeah. completely. It's like, like it's, it's like uh, acupuncture. I used to have an acupuncturist in my gym and she would uh, explain like chi and the meridians and how the acupuncture does this and that. And I'm at first I was like, oh, this is such bullshit. Like, what are you talking about? Chi and like mystical energy. And then I thought to myself like, well, there's actually a lot of times where you go to the doctor and you have referred pain. So you have pain in one area and it means that this organ is hurting or something else. And we know these things for sure. Like maybe they're working with the nervous system with these needles and they're getting the nervous system to communicate. Like they're just using different language. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Totally. So, and I mean, there's always that quote, um, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Ooh. Ooh, I like I'm going to have to write that down. Ugh. Excellent. So, yeah. Well, I, that's something I learned in med school, believe it or not. Oh, very cool. Well, uh, as always, it's been freaking awesome. <laughs> really excited to have you on our show. What a fun time, guys. Semi-regularly. Yeah. We can expect you back, right, in a little yeah, while? Yeah, you keep on training me and getting me into shape, I'll keep coming back. Uh, Hell yeah. <laughs> like that deal. Love it. Thank you very much. Uh, cool. So check it out. You can go to your app store, get the Mind Pump Media app, and then you can search all of our like 700 plus episodes for particular topics. Go get it now. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. 
The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump. <laughs>